left my family. I left my kids. I left my nightclubs, my parking company, $35 million to fight the fight. And both families, Gambino and the Bonanno family, Joe Messina, the boss of the Bonanno family, I helped him against the guys who were ratting against him. He turned state evidence into worldwide. His underboss, Sal Vitale, came in and he ratted. The captain, Frankie Copa, he ratted. And alongside them, there was other guys in their family that ratted. Along with my family, the boss, John Gotti Jr., he ratted. Ronnie Warnham, you have the opening statement. He ratted. He said that I would kill him if he wasn't nice to me. After I tried to help him beat the case. Mikey Scars, DeLonardo, John Gotti Jr.'s right-hand man. He ratted. Greg De Palma, another one of John Guy's made guys. He ratted. Fat Dom, another one of his made guys. He ratted. Mikey Scars had Joe, little Joey D'Angelo and John Jr. had him rat because they turned on him. He had nowhere to go. Another guy, Mikey Scars' brother, well, they, they buried him. So he had a flip. He had to come in. And I won't use the word rat for these guys because these guys were left in no man's land by all the captains, made guys, giving these guys up one at a time. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Johnny and Gene Show. I'm Felix Levine. To my right, John A. Light and Gene Barello. And before we get into it today, I want to please remind you to, if you haven't done so already, subscribe to the YouTube and subscribe to our Patreon channel. There you'll have all of our content. It goes up there early. There's bonus content, and you have the ability to ask John and Gene personal questions. We do Q&As that go just on the Patreon. And we also have great news. Our audio versions are back up on Spotify and Apple's podcast app. So if you're listening to this right now, please go give this a five-star review and rate it there. And also, if you haven't listened to it there, Oops, sorry. <laughs> and, and if you haven't listened to it there, uh, now you have the option of listening to all of our episodes in their full audio versions. Today, um, we were talking a little bit before we came on air. Um, I think we all either saw or heard of Samir Gravano. He talked about Willie Boy Johnson. I know that you had a a lot to add on and different stories and in your experience. So uh, I'll let you take it away a little bit. Well, if people don't know uh, well, um, who Sammy Gravano was, and I think most of you guys that follow our show know he was the underboss of the Gambino family at one time. Uh, he's uh, also a friend of mine. And he was speaking about Willie Boy Johnson. So uh, I'm going to add a little bit to what he talked about about Willie Boy. Willie Boy was uh, a, a very tough guy. He was an Indian from uh, a native Indian. He had his social club on Avenue U in Brooklyn, right by King's Plaza. And he was the partner of John Gotti, uh, the father senior in the uh, sports business. So uh, I started developing a pretty big sports business. I had the New York Mets gambling with me. And I had a guy that I met the New York Mets through, Joe DeLuca, who was the equipment manager. He brought me a lot of these guys. And uh, at the time, I didn't have the money or the... Uh, well, you know, actually, the uh, the uh, the office wasn't equipped at that time to handle uh, that kind of action and and make sure that it had real lines. Meaning, when you have weak lines, you can you know you can get hurt bad. And I had a guy, Mark Caputo, that used to run the office for me. One of the guys who was also very good friends with uh, Willie Boy Johnson. 
So he lived with Willie Boy for a while when he was accused of a murder at Silver Fox that we addressed before. So uh, John Gotti told me, uh, called me into his office, told me to take a walk with him. I took a walk with him. And he said, listen, uh, I'm going to bring you over. Go see my partner, Willie Boy Johnson. And at that time, I didn't know Willie Boy. He says, uh, he's expecting you. I told him that you're going to come over and you're going to be on a half sheet with us. You're going to be partners with me. And Willie Boy runs that office. So, you know, naturally, I was happy about that, right? It's an opportunity. And when John, at that time, as a kid, I was a kid, uh, he's noticing me. So that also makes you, as a kid, you know, you're saying to yourself, okay, uh, I'm getting right where I want to get. And that's what John himself uh, ended up being in the drug business a little bit with him and Angelo Ruggiero and a couple of guys that I think I spoke about with Sonny DiGiorgio and the heroin trade at the same time. When I go see Willie Boy, I go up, it's on the second floor of the, of the office, and we start talking, and uh, anybody that knows Willie Boy is an intimidating guy. Nice guy, intimidating guy. And I start getting friendly with him. And we're doing business, and the numbers, I'm, ma- I'm bringing in big money. And uh, at the same time, I'm getting some of John, start sending me some of his personal friends that are big-time uh, guys, too, that gamble. So... My office is growing. I got a hundred and something guys. I'm on a half sheet. I'm bringing in a couple hundred thousand dollars. In those days, that's in the uh, mid '80s uh, into the office. So it's big, big money. money. That's big money for that time. Right? Yeah, it's very, very big money. And uh, I get friendly with Willie Boy. As I get friendly with Willie Boy, I get friendly with his son and his nephew, uh, Mickey Boy and Johnny. Uh, good guys. Uh, we used to laugh, had a good time. Got friendly with him. Mark Caputo was always there. I grew up with Mark since we're little kids, ten years old. So we had a good camaraderie of guys, and uh, Willie Boy starts teaching me the ropes uh, a little more about the sports business than I knew. I grew up in the sports business around my father and my uncle and different guys. So, you know, I knew the sports business, and uh, Willie Boy starts talking to me. And at the same time, he's talking to me about personal things. And he starts talking to me about things that people don't know about and the public don't know about. And one of those things was... Well, my Uncle Andy... A lot of people don't know that story. You know, I'm a younger guy, but, you know, my cousin was uh, around, you know, for a long time. Um, his father, obviously, was Fat Andy Ruggiano. A lot of people didn't know that Willie Boy had a bullet enlarged in his head, that my Uncle Andy shot him in the head. And a lot of people don't know that story. You know, they don't talk about my uncle's stories a lot, but he, you know, he was a legendary mobster, and he has a lot of murders and shootings and stuff like that. And Willie Boy, he actually shot in the head, and I'm sure you could tell him more about it. So when I was sitting there with Willie Boy, you know, your cousin Anthony and me discussed this, uh, Fat Andy's son, Anthony Ruggiano, who's on the show with this and became a member of the Gambino family. So uh, we had this discussion and Willie Boy's getting friendly with me and he says to me one day, he goes, hey, you know, they all call me kid. Obviously, back then I was a kid. And he says, feel well, this. How old were you at the time? Uh, probably 22, 23 okay. years old. That's young, yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, I got close with him, and, you know, because his kids are my and his nephew my age, and, you know, we really got close. You know, you're working with him every day, and I really liked the guy, and he had some reputation of being a tough guy. And he says, hey, we're joking around one day, and he says, feel this. So he puts my fingers on the back of his head and between his neck and his head, and he had a big, he was a big guy, big neck. And he says, you feel that? And I start laughing. So and that's when he went into the story. He goes, you know, you know, one of the toughest bastards around, he says, is fat Andy Ruggiano. He says, I don't know if you know that, but he's a tough motherfucker. And I says, yeah, I, I heard him. He goes, well, I know you grew up around them and the kids and everything as a kid. I says, yeah. He says, but listen to me. And now this is talking from a guy who's a hitter. And Sammy, you know, knows that and said that a little bit in his story about 
the Willie boy being a hitter and a tough guy. But after that story, uh, I'm in court, and around the same time, he gets locked up, and uh, Sammy talked about a prosecutor he didn't mention. It was Diane Giacalone that ends up giving up Willie, that he was uh, either a cooperator against Gotti and other oh, guys who just got how did How was she allowed to do that? She wasn't open to court. Did she lose her job? No, she got, no. She got him killed. <laughs> yeah, she did get him killed. She got him she killed. Got him killed. Uh, and it, you know, so when people hear these stories, and you know, and Sammy went on in the story talking about, uh, you know, now he's talking about a guy I'm very friendly with, so I know a lot more inside information. That at that time he knows him as a guy that's involved. He's not an official member of the of our family because he's an Indian. He's in the kind of same situation as me or Joe Watts or the rest of us that are in high levels, partners with Gotti, but not uh, able to be officially made or recognized. Right. But basically he's recognized as, as, as a made guy in the family. People respect him, obviously. is the same position as a lot of these guys that are straightened out. And uh, Sammy talked about when they're going to hit uh, Willie. So I'm in the court. I got a court case. Richie Raybach is John's lawyer at the time. And he's also my attorney, and I got a case of assault. Uh, I believe it was against a cop at that time on 106th Precinct. And Willie comes back into the, the uh, courtroom, and he's sitting there. And I'm just like, wow, I'm on a bad spot here. The guy who's already been called an informant, they just beat the case. He's sitting in the courtroom. I look at Richie. Richie shrugs his shoulders, and I thought maybe he had some business with Richie because he was also Richie's, uh, Richie was also Willie's lawyer. And, you know, on the way out, I say hello to him. He says, how you doing, kid? He starts talking, and you can see he's a different guy. He's, he's just, for whatever, you know, what happened to him, he's a different guy. And, you know, he kisses me, and he says, I'm glad, you know, I, got to, I beat the case. I walk out with Richie, and I have to go see John. I tell Richie, you got to, you know, make sure you see John and let him know that he was here. So I see John, and John says to me, just shakes his head, he says, okay, because... What Sammy said, this is going to happen. And I don't know how a guy that's in this life could believe he, wasn't, he was going to get a pass and he, was going to get, he wasn't going to get killed. Once you sit with the government that's like it. that, it's a death sentence. In that era? So <laughs> now Sammy gets into Tommy and uh, how vicious he is. And he brings up the book, The Butcher, which I think we brought this up on one of the shows. Uh, John... The son had a meeting with him, and at that time, John, the son, says, well, it's written in a book that Johnny has got uh, six bodies at that time, and, you know, he wanted me to meet with him. But that's not accurate. I don't, I don't know anything about that meeting. I wasn't there. I don't know where they got the information, if John actually talked to the author or Tommy talked to the author or where they got the uh, information about me. And, but I was never going to any sit-down with, with Tommy, so we're going to straighten that uh, part of the story out. But I am in the book, and I am in the part where Gotti tells him that I got six bodies at that time, and I'm feared on the street and whatever. Now, when Sammy starts talking about Tom, about Tommy, I don't have the same respect for Tommy. I think everybody knows that. When you're in this life, and you're a, a wise guy, or you're a made guy, or you're a gangster, you're supposed to carry yourself like that. But when you carry yourself like a... Serial killer, basically. Uh, uh, drug addicts, kill, killing girls, killing kids, Mom, killing man. old men. I don't give anybody props for killing Willie Boy Johnson, sitting on a corner, waiting to go to, go to a construction job by himself in his 60s, heavy, can't move, can't walk, 
There's nothing to say. It's like killing a lamb. It's like asking somebody, oh, shoot that dog on the street right there. That's got uh, three legs. He can't run away. <laughs> so what's the thing if you go see somebody and you, you shoot them 10 times or 12 times or 15 or 20 times? You know, I know tough guys that got killed, like Scott Schumann, who was a tough kid, and they set him up and he got shot 35 times right. in front of his house off Queens Boulevard. But that's a young guy who's always carrying. And it's a different thing. That's right. And if you don't catch him right, he's going to shoot back and, you know, he'll possibly kill a couple of Willie wasn't in that situation. He's an old man. He's not carrying a gun. Everybody knows that. He's a, a lone sheep now by himself, nowhere to run. It's an easy setup kill. So I'm not impressed by the guy, and then people are constantly writing me about Tommy. And uh, I don't like him for a lot of reasons. I believe he was behind the murder of, of Greg Ryder, and everybody knows that. Uh, and I went after him. I also robbed his drug house. So again, when people ask me, well, it's not true. Phil Baroni, the cop, was there. Keith Pellegrino was there. He waited down the block while I did that robbery. The girl Claudine was in the house, who owns Claudine's haircut and salon in Howard Beach, was also at the time dating uh, one of, and I won't mention who, but she was dating an acting boss who's still alive also. So when people say, did I rob that house? Dennis Harrigan, uh, yeah. Did I get about 100 to 150,000 back in those days? Yes. And after the robbery, did I leave town? Did I wear a mask? No. And people think I killed Dennis Harrigan. Now, to finish this story off, I didn't kill Dennis Harrigan. The brother-in-law knows that. Hootie knows that because Hootie was in Atlantic City when we had the meeting. Everybody thought I still killed the guy. Never killed him. Uh, he had problems. They called him an informant also that he was uh, ratting on Tommy Karate on his murder case. When Sammy goes bad in 1991, uh, Tommy's with John in MCC. John sends a message home to me through his brother, Pete Gotti, who's also still alive. He's in MCC at the time. John was in MCC. He sends the message to Pete, and he asks me to kill as a favor for Tommy Karate to kill Dennis Harrigan. And that, to me, had to be the funniest uh, request of me killing anybody in my life because there was no way I wanted it. The only person I wanted to kill was Tommy Karate for killing Greg Ryder or being behind that murder. And when people say, you know, uh, it's, it's not true. I just named everybody that's involved, and it doesn't take a lot for anybody to get a lawyer and, uh, or anybody in any family that's close to see Pete Gotti and find out if that, that's true, right? So when you're telling a story and somebody isn't alive, but this guy's alive, Pete, and uh, I guess anybody can get confirmation from him, confirmation from Claudine. If I robbed that house, confirmation from Dennis Harrigan's brother-in-law is still around, Hootie. And Phil Barone, Keith Pellegrino, I can go on with that list. Wait, you know they have him as the most prolific hitman of all time. Now, I'm not around for these times. I'm just saying, like, all the guys I know, I don't understand. They say the guy's responsible for, like, 200 murders, whatever. You know, they exaggerate these numbers, you know. I've never heard of anyone killing that many people in any organization. But, I mean, two... Well, because you're getting information. Let me see. You're getting information for... He had a guy they stayed with, Kojak. Right. Who's a, you know, serious guy. And then you have guys like Ganji, who's a complete junkie. Right. Who's a, you know, soft, low life. Right. Who ends up getting pulled over for a DUI and starts ratting. Right. And, and then he goes, hides underground somewhere in some city or country or whatever he's doing. So, you know, you're <laughs> getting that information from the people you're getting it from. So, you're hearing now... Did he kill a girl? Yes, he did. Yeah, chopped the head off, right? Did he, he, so you killed a girl. Why would he so why that? would you get respect as a gangster for doing that? This is the part I don't understand with a lot of this stuff. Right. Why would you get respect for killing an old man Willie? All right. He had to go, but it's no big accomplishment killing this guy. And if you killed my friend, uh, Greg Ryder, 
whose father was a, a serious guy, a good guy, you know, uh, you, you're disrespecting his family, him, the uh, institute that we all live by, our loyalty to our families, meaning the Gambino family and Tommy, the Bonanno family. Right. So who gave permission for them to hit a young kid? Because Greg at the time was a kid, 21 years old, 22 years old. And again, not too difficult to kill him because he's still a naive kid, easy I to get him. So mm. now he's got a couple other murders in there, but nothing with, was, uh, you know, you're telling everybody, I think he's got about seven murders on his case. Right. It, the rest of these numbers are exaggerated. And for the people that don't know, uh, I know very well who Tommy is, not only as my dealings with him, but prior he grew up with a guy named Franco, his next door neighbor, who was also into jujitsu and karate, would go to Japan with Tommy, very good friends with the family and Franco. Uh, his brother-in-law, uh, so guys that don't know, was a skipper with the Bonanno family. Charlie was a skipper also. And these were Tommy's guys that from Fort Lauderdale, Boca Raton, Florida, were good friends of mine. And, Used and to hang out with me. He was originally with Colombo guys, wasn't he? Originally, I, yeah. Tommy switched off. Right. Uh, so, you know, when guys know these stories, uh, they don't have all, all the details that I have. And uh, the guys that he was around. And, you know... Guys exaggerate stories as it goes on. Right. Was the guy a killer? Of course he was a killer. Was the guy great with his hands and all that? Absolutely not. Did he fight a little bit? Yeah, so what? I could take you to a gym with a lot of guys that fight boxing, karate, <laughs> MMA, and guys that are in the business that understand. Uh, some guys suck, so what? They say they fight, they try to fight, and uh, whatever nonsense everybody says about this guy is, is, is not true. I mean, did he fight a little? Yeah, he fought a little. Uh, ain't no great expert with his hands and all that nonsense. Matter of fact, from what Franco said, he sucked. He never won a fight. <laughs> now, I wasn't there, so I'll just say, all right, the guy fought. You know, I'm not going to say he was bad or good, to be honest with you. I really don't know. I'm just repeating what another guy said who's around his life also. So when guys are talking about stories, uh, you know, I can give them a, a, a more detailed analysis of it because I was involved with these guys intimately in different ways. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, and, and go off that show. And there's not too many guys that, uh, and I'm going to bring up a guy that I'm, was very friendly with to a kid. And I'll give you an example. Benny Gerentano, who's Shorty's uh, stepson. Benny's in jail. He's in a, in a max now. And you got these punk half-ass gangsters that talk shit about Benny now because he's locked up and uh, he's in a, a max joint. Uh, Solitary confinement, he's constantly in the hole. But he grew up since he was a kid. Now, there's a tough guy. He was a gangster. They could say what he was. He was loose cannon. They could say this and that. But these same piece of shits that talk about a guy because his hands are tied up and his life is stuck in a Mac somewhere. And uh, when you talk and you call this guy or whatever, you've got a lot of names. Everybody's calling the guy now. First off, he ain't an informant for the people who keep saying that. He ain't a rat for the other people who say that. And one day, if he ever gets loose, those same people that are saying that are going to hide somewhere. But this is the new world of uh, the, the, these young, tough gangsters that just type away and write bullshit, ain't about nothing. But the same thing with Willie. You know, Willie came whatever he became, but he was a serious guy. Ain't nobody going to step in a room with him and talk about him like that. But, you know, so there's different versions of what happened. Was there any other uh, favorite stories with Willie Boy Johnson under, under, other than the one where you felt the, the bullet on the, the back of his head? Yeah, I mean, Willie, listen. When I was a kid, Willie was mad. How, how much older was he than you? Oh, he was a lot. You know, they were all about fifteen yeah. years old when they twenty okay. years older. Okay. So you figure on the way, yeah, he's probably in his thirties. So, you know, when, when guys are telling stories when they don't know a guy, I knew the guy. And the guy was generous to all of us. 
Mark, if he was here, he would tell you. His son and his nephew will tell you, not because of the son and nephew, but just Willie was a, a, a decent human being. Forget about, I'm not talking about marble world, the mob life, but he was, you know, he treated you almost, you know, and I'm a kid, treated you like an equal, treated you almost like his own kid when you're around him. And there's certain qualities in certain old time gangsters that, you know, these guys aren't clueless about. Or guys like his uncle Andy, you know, these guys were just complete gentlemen to you. And they taught you a different way of growing up in his life. And uh, when people say, is there another story of Willie? Yeah, Willie used to fly off the handle because John was a crazy gambler. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm John's guy. I'm on record with John. So let, let me get something straight to I was with the regime, meaning I was with Gotti Sr. I don't get placed with Junior until he gets strained out in 89. And I was with them only for two or three years. The father placed us with him to legitimize him as a gangster, me and Bobby Borrell and a couple other guys. But I'm with John. I'm not with anybody but John. So, so anybody understands where I came from. But uh, Willie Boy was bad-mouthing the shit out of John. And I'm like thinking to myself, you know, you still, still, I'm around gangsters my life since I'm born, but I'm saying there's a lot of treachery in Machiavelli, and I'm saying, does this guy want me to join in to see if I could talk bad about John? This is what I'm thinking. Setting you up. And I'm not, well, he's not, but, yeah. you know, later on I find this out, but I'm saying, is he trying to check my loyalty with John? Why is he talking like this in front of me about John? Because John would bet a game. You know, most guys think, well, he's a big gambler, 5,000, five dimes, whatever they would say. John would bet 100 dimes, 100,000 a game. And I'm going back to the 80s. So he was a maniac. He wouldn't bet one game. He'd bet six, seven. He'd bet the horses. He'd bet everything. So Willie would have our office would be winning. You know, I got my own office with them. And they got their own office, and they'd be up, say, 800000 oh It's Friday or Saturday, and they're going into the weekend. And then, you know, they, they get, you know they're going to make big money for the weekend. And Sunday, here comes Sunday rolling around, and John <laughs> throws in. So Willie's going through the sheets, and he's getting calls from John to put in more action, and he's going crazy. He's this motherfucker. He's going crazy, and I got my head down, and I'm like, I don't want to hear this shit. <laughs> and he's, like, he's been everything opposite what I need. So <laughs> now I'm trying to escape. You know, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to say, no, no, no. And then he's trying to keep me there. Just stay here, stay. And we're watching games, right? We're listening to games. We're watching because it was a different era. You didn't have a hundred channels like you do now. So we're listening to games. We're calling in and he's getting clobbered. John's getting clobbered. Willie, his, the, the sports office, the action's making all kinds of money. And, Did he uh, pay when he lost? <laughs> no, no, no. Right? half the time he told everybody to get lost. Oh, man. So, uh, you know, you're getting phone calls from John because you're trying to get the late games in. In those days, they didn't have the, you know, now you got the four and you got the seven, you got the nine, you right. got the eight, you got different games. You can still get in and try to try to get it back. They didn't have it back then. So, you know, when that four o'clock games come in. So and back then there was there was only what, what kind of, what time? Yeah, the four o'clock was the last okay. game. Yeah, I don't think there was, I don't really remember that extent, but I think maybe one or something, you know, once in a blue moon, if anything. Now you got them yeah. day and night, all day during the week. So when you're down and you're getting hit yeah. in the one o'clock game, so it's around 3.30, you, you know, call. you call in because the 10 to 4 the line's usually shut. <laughs> so he starts getting the calls in and he's putting in another like 12 games. He's putting reverses and he's putting oh, in parlays. He's putting in everything and he's getting killed. <laughs> So, you know, he's like, kid, go back to that fucking club. And, you know, he's talking shit, too. You know, he ain't saying that to John. But he's talking all that. And uh, John got killed.
So Willie broke everything in the office. And, you know, he didn't have a fancy office, desk, whatever. And he would break everything in the office. And I'm sitting here like this thinking to myself, well, I don't want to go back to Ozone Park because he just lost everything. I don't want to be sitting here. And, you know, and then you get the messages, you know, tell this guy that. And he's giving me a message, tell that guy that. And, you know, it's just a funny situation when you sit back and you think about it, you know. Uh, John never hardly won. That was, you know, he's just a crazy gambler. But I was used to it. My uncle, not my, my uncle, my father's. My father and my uncles gambled the same way, but not obviously not with that kind of money. Right. But they all bet over their head. Anybody that's a gambler knows everybody. And when you want to catch up, you know. That's it. That's that's. What the, was what was the biggest number you ever saw John bet on a senior? Gotti, the, the yeah, fall senior. Oh, he bet crazy numbers. I mean, and listen, he would bet. Not, and you know, if somebody said, "Listen, they played a game continental." Is a card game. You know, Paul Castellano's brother, after he gets killed, comes to our club. And I'm like, look at this bull job. He's coming to play Continental's brother, just got clipped. So, you know, this is the treachery of the mom. And Mark Caputo used to sc- keep scoring. You know, when people ask me about who knows the Gottis as well as me, I'd say Mark was probably the, there's nobody besides me and Mark. And later on, Mark gets away from everybody. So, I, you know, I'd probably be the, the, the only guy that really knows him to that extent. But Mark knew John very well. And he was always around the family and everything. So, you know, these stories, and Mark was very close with Willie Boy. He lived with him when he went on a run for the Silver Fox murder. And he stayed with Willie Boy. So uh, Mark knows him pretty good. But Mark was the guy that kept the score for, uh, you know, uh, the Continental game. And Mark would be at the track all the time. And, you know, that's how Anthony Rouge and Fat Andy and everybody knew my father because my father was a degenerate gambler. He lived in the track. And, you know, his cousin Anthony will tell you, I mean, everybody knew my father from the track and from sports, and but he didn't have the money these guys did. And, the, you know, gamblers are funny. They all flock together. Everybody knows oh, yeah. each other. Who's uh, who's giving, does John get picks from someone? Does he have sharps? Does he, or is he making it all himself? Listen, <laughs> you know, it's funny you said, because, you know, sometimes, you know, John was, listen, people only know one side of John. Right. He would go crazy. And this idiot kid that stays with his son said something once, because his father says one time, I'll suck that horse's dick just to get one winner, you know, when the horse was racing. Right. And the idiot repeated, doesn't know the father said it at one time. And then we used to joke about it and use it as a reference and say the same thing. You know, you're copying the guy, what he said. And uh, Yeah, Vin used to say, I'll suck three dicks, he isn't a rat. Yeah, That's yeah. Just- <laughs> so, you know, it's funny, but John was a, a funny, you know, everybody only knows him for the bad things. I talk about it on a couple of shows I just did that's going to be airing on, I think, Netflix and uh, Nat Geo, I'm not sure, but... I talk about the good side of him because even when he was gambling, he would be crazy, but he would joke a lot too. And he would say to me, you know, he would talk and there was a guy, Jimmy Irish, that was hanging around and put bets in. He didn't put one of his bets in from once and John won. <laughs> he says, I ain't chopping that fucking horse's head off. I'm going to chop his off. You know, from the Godfather, he tells some funny, but he joked about uh, when he was losing, he goes, do me a favor. He says, take a couple bucks, go get me the, the horse tallies, right? He wanted the, the papers. And he said, if you find a fucking blind, dumb guy, bring him here because I want him to pick some games for me. You know, he said some funny things. <laughs> and it doesn't sound funny here, but, you know, when he said it, you know, the guy just lost a million dollars, whatever he lost. And, and he's joking and he still has the sense of humor. So that was a good side of John that people did. How rich at his peak was, was Senior? Oh, I don't know. I mean, listen, he... gets asked me. Again, John didn't, he wasn't one of those guys that wanted to live in a $5 million house like Paul Castellano. He lived in a bullshit average house. He had no, he didn't care about that. He would say, I'm a gangster. I live on the street. You know, so as fast as it came in, it went out. 
So I, he wasn't one of those guys who put the money in his pocket. He really wasn't. You know, was he, you know, Joe Watts would go out with him. Joe Watts would pick up a ton of, you know, tabs. And when we went down to Lauderdale and we stayed at Joseph, John didn't care. He tipped the shit out of everybody, even though Joe was picking up things. He's a spender, gambler, crazy. So I don't know. I mean, he never really saved money as fast as it came in. And he spent everybody's too. <laughs> you know, so he wasn't just spending his. He'd spend, but he was generous too. If you needed money, on, you know, he lent a lot of money to a lot of guys like Jay Black. My grandfather was in the Copacabana and he was in there. And my grandfather's like, oh, I'm going to pay the pay. He goes, John, I'm going to pay your bill. He goes, oh, you want these too? He had the whole place. Yeah, he was yeah. paying for everybody's bill in the whole place. You know, like his, his, his uncle knew, like Jay Black and them all with Andy's guys. And then later on, when Andy goes to prison and everything, they go around John. But John lent all of the money. He did lend a lot of money out. So there's a lot of good qualities about the guy. And gambles are gambles. They all have that same crazy sense of humor. And, you know, that he just couldn't, you know, listen, when you're a loser, you're a loser. There was another guy, uh, Joe, Joe Ruggs, great guy, nice guy, family member of the Gotti's through marriage, and he couldn't pick a game. When him and my father would pick games together, we used to tell him, just let's see who they like and pick the other side, because it's a lock. If the two of them like one side, you know, just bet the other side. <laughs> wow. Damn, that sounds like me, man. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, uh, was, was, what was the first moment, I don't think I've ever asked you this, that, um, that you felt that Gotti Sr. fully took you under his wing? Like the first time you're like this guy, he he's got my back and he he wants me to to do well with him, because he was always yelling at me. <laughs> so you honestly, really, you know, if he didn't like me, he would have killed me for all the shit I did. You know, he he really liked me, and you know when people say, listen, the guy nonstop was screaming because I shot somebody, hurt somebody, did something when I wasn't supposed to, besides the ones I was supposed to. So he would he would laugh and shake his head, you know, when, when he wasn't yelling. And he'd say, you know, he told guys, like uh, Bobby the Jew was another guy that stayed around us. And he would tell him, you know, Bobby and him were on a phone booth when I shot a guy in the chest. And, you know, later on, Bobby said, he said, this kid reminds me of me, you know. So, you know, he'd always make comments like that to different guys. Or Bobby Borrell would tell me, you know, he loves you. He'd tell me all the time. He says, it's just that you're just so crazy. He's trying to, you know, control you a little bit, you know. So if John don't like you, trust me, you're not staying there. He's no dummy. He'd sit in a room, and if you're in that room, he knows you're in that room. You know, so, well, you wouldn't let me, you know, at, on, the, on the weekends, we'd all sit at a table if you're straightened out and you have dinner with us. If you're not straightened out, you sit in the back room or you sit next door across the street, I'd sit at the table. So these are the steps that he, he showed that he, you know, that he really liked me and obviously keeping me around his family the way he did, obviously, he, he respected me for what I did for a living. How old was it when you first were introduced to him and then when you finally were like, you know, sitting at the table with him? Uh, right away. But I was around every guy. You know, it's right. not like I just came from nowhere. That wouldn't right. happen. I was around his family since I'm a kid. And, okay. you know, so uh, when guys couldn't come down the block, and I'm talking about Ronnie Wanham later on, we get him straightened out, or Jojo Carrazzo later on, and he gets straightened out. They had to come through me to go down the block. They couldn't come by John. You know, they'd have to ask me, can you ask John, you know, can I come down? So, you know, when guys talk about, you know, did you, you know Junior didn't like Ronnie Wanham, and Ronnie Wanham hated Junior. And that's been going on for years. But Senior actually liked uh, Ronnie. So it was a hard, you know, I was always playing the middle for everybody. I had to be the go-between and, and the nonsense that goes on, be, you know, with the nonsense stuff that goes on because a lot of that bullshit goes on with politics between guys and crews, even though we're all the Gambino family, you know, everybody's jealous you, of each other. You know what I find so funny? Because, like, Ronnie, well, I'm so much older than me, so you know I'm good. 
he was so feared in my generation. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, guys were scared to look at him. No, I know, because I'm young, you know what I'm saying? Well, you know, and I, listen, he did a you know, couple things, right. but he's not the guy. Guys I mean, didn't they, even look at him. They well, I'm going to gonna tell you why. <laughs> he stayed with Robert Engels, and Robert Engels was a straight, tough right. guy, killer, gangster, you know, who was Nicky Carrazzo's guy. And, you know, guys that don't know the history, don't right. understand it, and then laughed to him. He started staying with me, telling everybody he's my partner because he lived off our reputation, different guys' reputations. I mean, did Ronnie know the street? Yeah, he knew the street. Was he schooled well of, you know, he knew how to be a bullshit-ass con man, and that's part of being the street. So he, he did know the street, but uh, as a, a serious, tough guy killer, no. And, I mean, look at his opening statement he made about me in court, which you guys all know, and it's been out there now, and enough people read it that uh, if he wasn't nice to me that I'd kill him like everybody else. I mean, what kind of statement is that from a captain of Gambino family in open court? So that'll show you about what... Uh, you know, some of the treachery of life to even say that about me. There was something else you brought up earlier. I think it was when you were talking about senior ordering a hit, I believe, on Tommy. Um, and I think you talked about... On Tommy Karate? Yeah. No, no, he never ordered it. it he was, had, Tommy asked John to ask me to kill the guy for him. But it was from him. in jail, right? It was in, from MCC. Now, how did that work when uh, when messages were relayed from someone in jail to someone who's out of jail? I'm well, John curious. gave it to his brother, Pete. Okay. And, and Pete, at the time, was the acting boss who came and brought it to me, told me to wait at the club for him, that he had to go see his brother, and he's got a message for me. So uh, it comes directly, and something like that, it's going to come direct. It's going to be tight because what you're talking about is a murder. Right. It's not going to go through a couple of guys, especially where John was sitting at that time. Right. And, uh, you know, Tommy asked for a favor. John owed him a favor after Willie Boy, and we left that part out. And, uh, you know, Sammy gave the other version of that. John gave his word, and I don't know about that part of the story. I just know the part that uh, you had to be crazy to think that John wasn't going to kill you after you uh, became an informant and you met with the FBI. So it just shows you that Willie Boy is not thinking straight because the minute he got out of jail... He should have took off for the Bahamas. I mean, because you know you're gonna go. In those days, you're going to. It's not like today, where you got all these typists guys. They're <laughs> typing away about everybody, and, and then, you know they're killing everything, and they never threw a rock in the water. Oh, so man, you know, it's, it's uh, yeah, so, you know, this is 2001. Was Senior treat when when you would go out with Senior? Was he treated like a celebrity? Oh, 100%. Do you have any favorite stories of um, maybe nights out with Senior? Or- Listen, there's so many stories because we used to go to Regimes, Club A. You know, we, we went to top clubs. And in, in our day, everybody's dressed. We didn't go out without being dressed. And if you dress like a slob, you send you home to get dressed. So we already know to get dressed. And, you know, and there's champagne and there's women around and there's everybody serving and jumping. And listen, these are the stories that I think the media misses out on because... If you ask my opinion, you want to hear stories about John, talk about the nightlife and talk about his personality. Outside of being a gangster when he can, you know, loosen up his tie and his shirt, <laughs> he was the best to go out with. And anybody that says any difference is lying. He was just a fun guy to go out with. And, uh, you know, he even yelled and used to yell at his kid all the time and dress him down and tell him, stop acting like a fucking old man and go live life. So one thing John did know is how to live life, and especially in Florida and places where we went on, on his boat, not guilty, and we go to the Hamptons or Fire Island or you know, some of the restaurants and clubs. He'd hit the water. The guy just knew how to have a good time. That part he did. He he just uh, would relax when he was with some, some of his inner, inner circle guys. No, I was gonna say, you know, 
a lot of times they always question about you being in the social clubs and everything like that. I've seen the surveillance. I mean, we've seen the pictures. It shows you actually at these social clubs. That's not I mean. But I'm just saying, but what, 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 why don't you clear it up a little bit? Because... Yeah, it doesn't matter because, you, you know, the problem is you're going to get idiots talking. There's, there's a whole neighborhood full of guys that grew up with us, like your cousin whose father was the boss that, you know, clarified this a thousand times. You're going to get typists that talk stupid and don't understand the intricacies of our life, don't, don't want to understand it, just want their version of it. And that's life. I mean, what, what, I'm going to beat my head against the wall to try to convince some imbecile right. about what happened. I mean, the people that know, no. The people that uh, understand you can't possibly uh, discuss some of the things that we discuss or other guys discuss that uh, just can't be done. Well, Ronnie Wanham's opening statement, what is that What is that about? Or Mikey Scars' statements about me or Joe Messina's. Or, I mean, so it's stupid at this point to keep going and reiterating nonsense for these dummies that, like I said, never threw a rock in a water in a, in a lake. So you know. No, I just wanted to bring you back uh, to to the senior and going out because I think a lot of people would enjoy like picturing exactly what a a, a classic night out with senior and. Well, you ever watch John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever? Yeah. Okay, John could dance like that. Nobody knows it. Really? No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I, I, listen. I know that everybody wishes they could see him dance. <laughs> no, he, listen. He just played around. He liked the joke. I mean, you know. How many, how many you would go out? Oh, uh, you know, at times it was, you know, 20 guys. And at times it was like Joe Watts was always there and Bobby Borriello was around a lot. And, you know, different, we went down to, you know, to Joseph's in, in, uh, in uh, Fort Lauderdale. You know, you would make sure that he had the upstairs lounge for him. And, you know, I'd, I'd have to have a certain amount of people there, female and male, you know, that he would want. Uh, Is he paying He'd stay for at the Yankee Clipper. Listen, He's probably not paying for Joe, anything, Joe Watts paid. For, <laughs> Joe Watts didn't let him pay for shit. Joe Watts paid wow. for everything. Joe Watts and him were inseparable, and especially down in, in Lauderdale, and we'd stay at the at the Clipper. And I mean, it was some funny stories. You know, a waitress came over to us when we were at the pool, and Mikey Scars, I think, told this story somewhere. We're all at the pool, and a waitress comes over and she puts on a tray. You know, the FBI are upstairs at the window. Now we're looking at the window, but you can't see in really because of the sun, maybe, or maybe it's shaded. I don't remember. But they got surveillance cameras, you know, so they're watching. So she comes and she gives us the thing, and, you know, he told John. So she, he starts joking with her. You know, he's, he didn't give a shit, in other words. He's telling her how many, uh, how they dressed. Uh, are they in shorts? Are they in the underwear? Are they banging each other? You know, he's just kidding, and she's all serious about it. Like, you know, listen, he knows he's being followed. You know, so, but, uh, you know, those, those are the everyday, you know, kind of interactions that he, he actually loved it. He didn't care. He liked the attention. He loved the, uh, you know, he loved the, you know, he loved to have a good time. That part he did. Was there any uh, fear when you guys knew that maybe you guys were being watched or that they were following you? Did they ever come, like, if you're at a club, would the FBI come? And no, in Ozone Park, there's a trestle overhead, and we found the camera up there that would shoot them down. Figured how we found it, but we found it, and we climbed up there, and we took it. Another time there was a van there and, you know, they're outside the van and John knocked on the door. He had somebody knock on the door and a, there was a, a diner in between 98th and 99th Street. And the, the guy that had the thing was Nick, was the owner's name, I forget, but I think it was that Greek guy. And he knocks on the thing and he says, uh, he had somebody, he said that John wanted to know what you wanted to eat, you know, today since you are in there all day. So he was dead serious, though. He wasn't even doing it like, why is this? He was like, 
you know, ask them what they want to eat. If they're going to be there all day, you're like, he says, let them <laughs> send them some food in there. So, you know, this is just part of it. He knew what was, he knew what was going I on. I think that gets them more mad when you know cockiness. <laughs> what really wants to like. Some guys take it personal. Some yeah. guys didn't. You know, yeah. just like John, he said, let them do their job. He, he always used to tell all of us, don't, don't be threatening them. Don't be this. Don't be that. Right. You know, I don't want you saying nothing. He, he would want us, you know, so. In, in, that, in that aspect, he was okay. John Miller used to come around on a regular. So those are just, uh, you know. Did you feel like the FBI smartened up over time? Listen, we ain't the smartest guys around. The guys <laughs> on the street, they didn't have to smarten up. You know, everybody's got this belief about, you know, everybody jokes about. That's why Analyze This and Analyze That yeah. was pretty funny movies because yeah. it's kind of depicted everybody truthfully. There's a handful of smart guys. The rest are dummies. They can't find their way back down to the club, and we live right there. So, you know, somebody in Philly said that. He says, we're doing a hit. They, they got lost. He says, we live in South Philly. How the fuck can't they know where they're going? But it's the truth. They're dummies. And Gene, for you, was the, was the party life more like in the, you know, old, in the, your generation of the mob? Was it the same kind of thing of going out? I mean, well, did you guys go out a lot? We had one guy in our crew that loved the party, uh, Mike Palmacio. I went out with him a lot. Ronnie G did not like the party. He wasn't a, a club guy. Back in the day, they said Vinny Yassara was a big party guy. He loved women and all that stuff. But um, my era, I went out with Mike Palmacio a lot, and we had a good time. You know, we were all in the nightclubs and everything. We partied a lot, you know. What were the big clubs in the, in the city? One Oak. You at One Oak a lot? Yeah, all of them spots. All over the hot cities. When was the last time you were at One Oak? 2013. Okay. Remember, I was gone in 2014. Yeah. So. And, I mean, yeah, it's after he, he robbed uh, <laughs> Ronnie's 300 grand. He was yeah. at every club around. Down in Miami. <laughs> he was yeah, the only big club guy. Mike Palacio was like a big kid. If anyone knows Mike, you know, Mike was like, he was 48 going on 20. So he'd be out with us dating young girls, you know, partying with us all the time. That, that's how he was. Did, did the bouncers, or for, for both of you, did they, did they know, you know? Some clubs. I had all the bouncers. Right. We okay. used to have them. We used to put them in the clubs. They okay. used to work for us. So, so and, got, and yeah, and the ones that didn't know, like the guy that put his hands on Koenig's son, Johnny Koenig's son, I shot him in the Hamptons. The other guy that put his hands on Angelo Ruggiero's son, Johnny Boy, who was dead, I shot him. So the guys that didn't know anybody, they learned fast. Yeah. Uh, a guy put his hands on the Skinny Dom's son, uh, Nicholas, uh, when he was a kid at the, at the Avantis that we were, we were partners when I was partners with a Genovese guy. And the same thing, took him in the room and, you know, we blackjacked him. So, you know, it's they're going to learn the, you know, one way or another, they better watch whose hands they put on who. Was it obvious to, like, the ordinary people that were out in the social scenes or the clubs, like, who you guys were? Yeah, yeah. Well, they tried pulling that on me in a bar one time, and they go, you know whose place this is? I said, I don't give a fuck whose place this is. Wait, <laughs> we get into it, the guy, he's talking all shit. I found him home, and I blew his car up, and that's why I show him. I don't give a fuck who your place is. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Nobody cares about who place is. I mean, you know, I didn't care. <laughs> Those days, like, you know, if we go to, like, usually a lot of places are out. It was like Club A was John's spot. Right. So, you know, that's the, the old, uh, later on it becomes scores. And uh, you go to uh, the Red Parrot, and that was Fat Andy's place. And me and Albert and Anthony, we all used to go to Bobby Greco, the jockey at the time, used to stay with us. So there was a lot of us, and, you know, you go to the spots that are really ours. We go to uh, After Hours of Black Gate uh, down in Brooklyn that we all went to. That's where Frankie Burke gets killed. And uh, we used to hang out there, all of us. And that's what, those are our guys. Tito, a Spanish guy, you know, was involved with us. And uh, so, you know, we, most of the spots are ours or become ours once we're there. What percentage do you think of, like, the nightlife in New York City and during your era was owned by the mob? And, and No, not our era. More their era. Our era was... Listen, you don't operate a club, major club, like Channel 80. Was, you know, Philly Basile's, his son Frankie and Roger were friends of ours, and they were Lucchese guys around Jimmy Burke originally. 
So, you know, listen, every one of us, uh, my father had a club called Hammerheads, probably the hottest rock club ever in uh, Long Island. Uh, Speaks was uh, Philly Basile's also was out in Long Island. And, you know, my father's club out, it was with Blackie, uh, Luciano. So, you know, these clubs were all run and owned and, uh, you know, we got a piece of, someone got a piece of Bedrocks in the city was where Shorty gets killed and uh, I was supposed to hit that guy for John with Bobby Borriello and then later on places with Bobby, it's with Mikey Scars. And so they're with us one way or another, either our money's in it or they're, they're uh, paying homage to us. Now, last question about Senior. When was, uh, what was the last interaction you had with him? Right there, 1991, when uh, he asked me to hit Dennis Harrigan is uh, probably the last time I have direct uh, access to him. And after that, I'm Jeannie Gotti's cellmate, 1997, in McKeon. And uh, I was very friendly in, in those days with Joe Gambino, who was also in prison with us. And then that's a story we'll tell, uh, what happened with that falling out. And uh, my friendship always remained with the Gambino side. Joe Gambino, Tommy Gambino, these guys were gentlemen. I say it, everybody never hears me say anything bad. These guys carried themselves in a different way. Uh, and uh, I don't have anything uh, too good to say about Jeannie Gotti. All right, well. And either, either did John, by the way, as his brother. So. <laughs> we'll, still, we'll talk about that yeah. on, on, on we'll a We'll leave everybody episode. on the next one. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, guys. Um, where can uh, I can tell them where they, where they can follow you. You, Boy 666 and you got a new one. You got a new name. True, John A. Light. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. The office changed. It said, even I forgot they changed it. And uh, KCL, by the way, auto body, auto mechanics, inspections, tires, buy here, pay here, used cars, uh, 98 Henry Street, East Stroudsburg, PA. If uh, anybody's interested, please uh, reach out. And www.johnelite.com is my website if anybody uh, looking to reach and find us. And, and for myself, at Felix.Levine. And then uh, make sure you subscribe to the Patreon if you haven't done so already in the YouTube channel and uh, everyone on Instagram. Thank you, guys. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.